What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Culture FC, the weekly soccer show where we cover all culturally relevant aspects of the beautiful game. We cover lifestyle, fashion, music, culture, politics, all of the things surrounding the beautiful game, just none of the results happening on the pitch. My name is Louie, and I am joined here with my co-host, Brendan. Howdy, howdy. And this week, we have a very special, special episode for you. We spoke with Seth, who is the senior editor of the Bent Musket, which is a blog part of the SB Nation um, network that focuses solely on the New England Revolution. And we talked to him about so many different aspects of the team, where they are today in terms of not only their gameplay, but culturally. We talked about uh, the brand new stadium that will hopefully be happening in the next few years. And we really dove into what it means to be a, a New England Revs supporter and also a supporter of the MLS. So there was a lot of amazing, amazing content in this episode. I am so excited to have all of our listeners get a chance to listen to this episode because when we were doing this interview, it got me so excited about so many different things that I just so I hope that when you folks are listening to it, you get some of those same feelings that we did. If you like this episode, please leave us that five-star review on your favorite podcasting app. You can find us on every single podcasting app out there. Basically, we are on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Google Podcasts, anything that serves you podcasts, you can find us there. You can also find the video version of this podcast on our YouTube channel, which the link is in the show notes. And we post several different kinds of shows that we have. We have this podcast we post every week. We have a MLS recap show that we started recently. And we also have a weekly top 10 talking about the things that happen in the beautiful game of soccer. So go check it out. Leave us a, leave us a like. Leave us a subscribe there. I don't want to keep you guys from this interview too much longer. So I'm going to wrap it up here. You enjoy this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did recording it. And I will leave you with this right before we go into the show. There was one thing that Seth said that I want to talk about right now prior to getting to the episode. He said that the MLS is our league here in America. It can be flawed at times. It can be uh, not as great as other leagues in the world. But this is our league. It is something that we can call our own. It is in our own backyards. And that is why we care. And that's why we should care. So on that note, let's jump into the episode. Um, so I don't know if you want to start by telling us a little bit about, you know, yourself and, and kind of how you got involved with the Bent Musket and how kind of how all of that transpired, I guess. Yeah, I mean, to begin, thank you guys so much for having me on and to kind of talk about the revolution, talk about this this team and the sport in this area. Uh, so I write for the Bent Musket, which is a part of SB Nation. I'm an editor over there. Uh, I started following the team when I was in college. So we're talking about 10 years ago. Um, and it was just, you know, it, it became my local team. I remember turning it on and, and watching it and be like, all right, so there is soccer in the United States besides the men's national team. And, you know, seeing Taylor Twellman and Steve Ralston and Pat Noonan and Matt Reese and Shaw Ridge Joseph, I mean, it was such a great time to turn on the revolution because uh, up to that point, you know, the, the, the team hadn't been that great as far as history goes. And this was like the golden age with Stevie Nichol on the bench and Paul Mariner on the bench. It was really exciting to watch this team. Uh, so, you know, I, I became a fan, went down and, and went to games and enjoyed the, the, you know, we'll talk about the atmosphere in a little bit, but enjoyed what was down there at Gillette Stadium and then decided that I wanted to, to do something a little bit different. I started to write about the team for TotalMLS.com, which is now gone. 
Uh, but it was a really great experience. I was able to, to talk to current and former players, to talk to coaches. Uh, I now have a credential through uh, the Ben Musket, so I attend at least half the games down there in the press box and go into the locker room and talk to the players and really just try to have a, a pulse on the team and, and to try to find stories. Um, you know, I was one of the first people, to, I was actually, I was the first person to break the Lee Wynn story about how he wasn't going to be at practice. Oh, uh, really? So on the way, yeah, so on the way down, I had a, a contact. I uh, was down to like the first training session. I had a contact say, hey, man, no one knows this except for you, uh, but Lee Wynn is holding out right now. Uh, he won't be at practice. He wants to be traded. So, you know, I pulled over on the side of the road and I started, you know, writing something up and getting out there on Twitter. And I get down there and uh, the the PR people are like, really, dude, you had to break that. Like right now, you had to like get the story out there. I was like, yeah, <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. So I was like the first one to get that story out there. I've broken some other stories as well. Um, and then I just, just provide commentary. I mean, I'm, and, you know, I'm always on Twitter trying to talk to the fans. Um, I, my Twitter name is at SethMan31, and I'm just trying to interact with people, try to understand this team, and try to, you know, just have conversations about the beautiful game because it, it's a tight-knit community that we have, uh, res fans and U.S. soccer fans in general, but it's a really good uh, community to be a part of. For sure, man. Well, that's awesome. The fact that you get to kind of be literally in the middle of all of it and really get to, you know, like you said, break stories and be one of the like the front line people is really why we wanted to bring you on the show and talk to you about the Revs as a team, as an organization, and also as like a cultural, uh, not necessarily icon, but like a cultural thing that exists, right? Um, so, I mean, clearly you said about how like you you go down there and you do all of this press, but like, what do the revs mean to you? Like, what do you look at them and think like, this is what it means to me? Honestly, it's a nice escape. Uh, you know, it, writing about the revs is not my full-time job. You know, watching soccer is not my full-time job. It's a nice escape. You know, I, I'm a teacher uh, during the day. I'm a coach as well. Um, but this is a time where I can kind of sit back and enjoy the game and, and, and be a part of this, again, community. I, uh, I can't express that enough that, you know, maybe there's not a lot of us that are on Twitter, Res fans and, and Res reporters, uh, but those that are on there are really passionate about this team and want to engage in conversations. I mean, I'm really fortunate to be a part of like a, a reporting uh, core where, where we often have discussions like that where we're talking about the latest information that's out there, talking about the news and dissecting it and throwing ideas out there. I mean, we at the Ben Musket, we're, we're talking all the time. Like, what do you think of this article? What do you think of this idea? What's going on with the team right now? Why is it not working? Um, so for me, it's just, it's just it's a nice escape. It's something different. It's some different dialogue to have. Um, you know, I kind of really try to approach this team with a unbiased thing because, you know, this is a reporter hat that I have that I'm trying to get information out there, that I'm trying to be fair with my reporting, you know, try to get multiple sources, try to ask good questions in the locker room. So I've kind of shifted a little bit away from the, the fandom aspect of it and more into a professional type of thing, but it's still very much an escape for me. I think that for a lot of us, that's what soccer is, that we get to step away from the real world problems and we get to watch, you know, for two hours, we get to watch a game that we love, a team that we love, a whatever, you know, be in the parking lot and enjoy it with, you know, our friends, our family, strangers. It's just a nice little thing to get away. It's a way to kind of escape the world and, and just embrace something that's different. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Um, but so, all right, let's just kind of jump right in then. So how would you rate and or judge uh, Brad Friedel and this kind of current Revs team, both from the managerial side and also from the current crop of players? Like kind of 
take us through your like how would you rate the revs currently and brad Friedel's work over the last eight months so I'll start with Brad Frito because he's obviously new and a lot of people want to know about, you know, this former U.S. legend. He's still a U.S. legend, goalkeeping coach, um, sorry, goalkeeping legend who's now a coach. Uh, so Frito comes to the revolution um, and he brings a sense of professionalism to the team. That was the big word uh, all during that early part of the season. Like He is a professional coach. Uh, he, Juan Adele had a really great, great quote where he said that he felt like he was going to um, – a place of work now, that this was his job now, that he had to make sure he was on time, he had to make sure that he was performing to the highest ability possible. There's a ton of guys on this team that have lost a lot of weight because of the training regimen that Brad Friedel put in. You know, we're talking like significant, like 8, 10, 12 pounds that are lost because people are working hard every day, they're using the right nutrients to put back into their body, like they, the uh, Joy Stadium, it, um, the food that the catering makes is absolutely outstanding. So after a training session, they'll go and they'll eat, but they'll eat the right stuff that you need to eat in order to get back on the field uh, either later that day, because Brad Friedel did institute two-a-days um, at various points during the week, or to come back in the next day and be healthy and be prepared to like you know go to work once again. Um, Antonio Delameo was another one who talked about the professionalism, and he also mentioned that this is the hardest preseason that he's ever been through. And this is a guy who's 26, 27 years old, who's played in Europe, who has seen kind of some different cultures. So Bradfield coming in was definitely a, a change in the culture in the locker room. He did a lot of different things. Um, he expands certain spaces. He put rules in place. Uh, so recently on Reddit, a New England Revolution fan posted the, the rules that were on place, the fines, that if you broke something, uh, you had to pay a fine. So, for example, if you're late for practice, you had to pay a $100 fine. Oh, if you're wow. late for a game, $200. Gum on the field, $50. You know, oh. leaving the locker room with, uh, without wearing shoes. Like, there's all these different fines that he put in place. It was pretty fascinating is that there's also a fairness aspect that goes along with this. Like, this is a guy who, who wants to be professional, but also wants to be fair. So, for those rules, you can actually appeal them, uh, and then you can actually have a three-man jury of your peers that are randomly picked out of a hat to hear your case according to this paper. So, he brought definitely a, a sense of professionalism to this team, where everyone's kind of getting on the same page, working hard, understanding that they want to lift a trophy by the end of the year. Um, from my aspect, it's been really nice to talk to Brad Friedel. I think that he's been really upfront with things. I think that he's very confident, even though he's a new coach, he's very confident in his tactics and his beliefs. Um, I've talked to him, you know, in small groups, I've talked to him in press conferences, and again, I've been really impressed by what he's willing to say. So for example, at one point I asked him, I asked him about transfers, what's going on with the transfer window. This is a, you know, a few weeks back before the summer transfer window closed. Yep, yep. And a lot of times he used to kind of say, yeah, we're always looking to add players, like, who knows, we're, we're trying to improve the squad, I'm not going to give anything away, and Brad Friedel said, all right, we're going to have a signing within 20, uh, 24 to 48 hours, that's what we hope, and we might have another guy as well. And that's like a really, you know, for him to go out there and end up being, it wasn't 48, it was a little closer, like 72 hours, but still, for him to go out there and just give that quote and say, yeah, we're, we're going to do this. Is, is a sign that he's confident that deals are going to get done. He's confident that, that you know, he, he can have a relationship with the media. Um, I've asked questions like the, the, currently what's going on is that there's problems with set pieces. They're letting in a lot of set pieces. Yeah. So I asked him, like, what's going on in training session? He's like, listen, you, you know, we worked every single day this week on this, okay? 
Guys know who they're supposed to be marking. They know how to block runs. They know everyone has their assignments. It's up to them to now fulfill those assignments. So he, he went through and broke it down and said, hey, this is all the things that we're doing. So these guys should be prepared. But on the day, no one's stepping up or people are missing their assignments or forgetting their role. So he's been really upfront and really honest with the media and, and talking to the media. And, and to me, that's, that's really great. You know, he's not combative. He's, he's very much confident in his beliefs. He's very much confident in the system that he sets up. That having been said, the Reds are not on a good run of form. This is no, not they're... a team. Yeah, this is not I'm sure if you got you know if you watch this team. This is not a team that a lot of people are interested in. Uh, I just did a really so not interested in, but this is not a team that a lot of people are overly enthusiastic about, especially when it comes to the playoff odds. So they recently played DC United. They lost two zero, and after that, I wrote an article basically saying Reds fans should be jealous of DC United right now. You know, this is a team that were basically in the same exact position as the Revs last year. And now DC is surging. Okay, they got right. Audi, Audi Field, who, which ends up being, you know, the, the opening day wasn't great. You know, there's a lot of controversy about pieces of railing falling and right, I you did know, hear bad that, Wi-Fi. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't great publicity. But you know, now they're they're winning. You know, they're on a great run of form. There, they got Wayne Rooney, this big name player who's performing. I mean, this guy played three games in eight days. That doesn't mean Zlatan won't play on turf. Right. Well, won't play in the All Star game, you know. Yeah. So you got that type of DP, but you got Wayne Rooney, who's getting bloodied every single week, and you know he got bloodied in, like uh, bloody nose a few weeks back. Uh, I guess the Revs, Antonio Delamea, you know, reopened that, and he was bleeding again. And this is a guy who's like, no, I'm not playing this game. I'm going to win this game. Right. So they're getting like a, a whole new burst of energy while the Revs are on this giant summer slump that they always go through. They're in the same stadium that they've been in for a long time. They're probably going to miss the playoffs again. So, you know, the, the team, it's not really a good period right now. The team will tell you that one win changed everything, that they could easily get into a streak. Brad Friedel this week said that they have, they're looking at um, this next run of, uh, of games as basically being cup finals every single game. That's great rhetoric. I mean, this, that's what you want to hear. This team's not giving up. Mike Burns has a potential that they could sign free agents up until the, the roster freeze. We'll see what happens there. Um, but, you know, when you look at a, a, a team like DC United, who now has better odds of probably making the playoffs um, versus the Revs, who are kind of slumping here, you know, it, it's kind of it's, it's understandable why certain people are down on the Revs right now. Yeah, and it it's got to stink from your perspective to see what the coaches are doing, what the regimented style of life and everything. And then on a, a little bit different note of that, the supporter culture here, and you see the Revs making these strides to try to become a better team. But what would you say the supporter culture has done in hand? Yeah, I think that the supporter culture is strong. You have a few different uh, supporters groups here, the official ones. You have the Revs Army, you have the Midnight Riders, you have the Rebellion. Um, you know, have you guys bought, been to a game at Gillette Stadium? So oh, I yeah. actually, so uh, when we played the Galaxy a couple weeks back, when we had, what is it, like 37, 36,000 people, um, I, I was actually sitting in the fort because um, I have a friend of mine whose dad is a really big, uh, really big part of like the Midnight Riders. So we got to really hang out in the fort. I don't know how we even got flags, but uh, me and, and a couple of buddies were there. 
Um, so it was actually really, really cool to get to experience the Revs, the uh, Revs game from the fort. Cause prior to that I had only uh, experienced it from other seats in the lower bowl. Um, so I just kind of, it was really cool to get to sit in the fort and really enjoy it. Yeah. So if you were interested in the supporters culture, definitely that's the area to be, um, the Midnight Riders, the Revs Army, the Rebellion, they all have a, a nice little tailgate that happens before the game. It's very much a tailgating culture. If you go to other stadiums, uh, it might be a little bit more of a bar culture. Uh, but here, very much, you, you bring your food, you bring your grill, you hang out. I mean, there, there are people that sometimes come just for the tailgate and then go home, you know, because they're kind of over the team, but they still love that that relationship that's out there, you know, like they love going to see their friends and family and pe people that consider now, they now consider it to be their family and just to hang out in the parking lot, play soccer, talk soccer. Uh, and then some, sometimes people actually, not very many, obviously, but some people actually just take off after that. Uh, after that, obviously, uh, most people end up going into the stadium. The fort is the best area to be if you like the chanting and the waving the flags and, you know, the, the rowdiness that can happen. Other areas, uh, like you mentioned that you've experienced, very much quiet, a lot of sitting that's going on that, that's in those areas, which could be fun too. I mean, watching a game like while sitting down and kind of breaking it down tactically, especially from half field, can be a fun thing to do. But if you really want that culture that you see on TV when you watch Atlanta or Portland, or I was able to actually go out to an LAFC game um, this past summer. It was LAFC versus LA Galaxy at the new LAFC stadium, and it was amazing. I mean, it's everything you want in soccer. I mean, it's, it's you know, 90 minutes of singing. And honestly, they, were, they weren't seeing many different chants. I mean, you go to Gillette Stadium and you'll hear, you know, a, a decent variety. It was probably three or four different chants. But because the atmosphere was so intense and everyone was standing, like in the area I was, I was in the supporter section, you can't sit. There are no seats. Right. Um, so, so you're right on top of the field, getting that energy, and I had no desire to sit, where sometimes when you go to the floor, especially if you sit in some of the higher seats, you might in the second half start kind of, yeah, maybe I'll sit down for a little bit, maybe I'll take this chant off. That doesn't happen in some other stadiums. Yeah. Uh, I went down in to Orlando, too. Orlando, uh, it's amazing. Like, the, the atmosphere, they give out, when I went, they actually gave you chant sheets, so, you know, you knew all the lyrics to all the different chants that were going to happen. Um, again, 90 minutes, everyone's standing, everyone's a part of it. And then afterwards, in, in both of those situations, you can kind of file out and go and talk to other people that really support the game. Where at Gillette Stadium, you kind of file out and maybe go back to the parking lot. But if you go to a bar, Louie, or you go to CBS Scene, or, or you go to, you know, somewhere else to kind of unwind... Um, not everyone realized there was a game going on, or not right. people really care that much about the game. So, again, it goes back to what I was talking about before, that there is a tight-knit community. There are a lot of people that care about this team that, you know, make TIFOs. I think that's one thing that's kind of cool that, that's happened recently at Gillette Stadium. And in October 2014, the Revs uh, supporters did their first-ever TIFO. And I'd ask it becomes something that we see more often. And it's really cool to see the creativity that comes into that. So yeah. these people care about their team. They travel places, they, they chant, they do all the things you want from supporters, um, but they don't have necessarily the best place to do it, where Gillette Stadium is kind of quiet at places, doesn't necessarily hold the sound in. Uh, even when it's, like you mentioned, like you go to some of these really full games, you're still just in the lower bowl, um, or maybe some people, like a small amount of people, in the higher sections as well. So they do the be they, I think they do the best they can. It's a really great culture, but you really need that downtown stadium to kind of up things. Right. Um, so 
in comparison to when you've gone to LA or Orlando to 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 view games, what would you say is not necessarily missing or or what could be yeah, I guess actually what is missing from the supporter culture here in New England in comparison to the Bank of California Stadium or Orlando City Stadium? Is it just the the stadium itself because on one hand, you know, you have Atlanta who's playing in a, in a football stadium. Of course, it's more of a cathedral and it's a lot higher up and it's enclosed and things like that. But, you know, they are they do have a football stadium that they are filling out. And so does Seattle. So basically what I'm trying to say is what's missing from the supporter culture? Is it the stadium or is it more of a uh, pressure onto the not necessarily pressure, but more focus from the supporters groups to try and kind of build it up themselves? Kind of how do you see that? Yeah, I, I think it's you got to get a downtown stadium. I think that's the most important thing. Um, so you, when you went to the game, you're local around here. Where do you, where do you live? Uh, we are just like about half hour away from Gillette. So like we're from Framingham, Mass. So like probably half hour, forty minutes from from Gillette. Okay, so even that though is a little bit of a drive for you, you know. And people from Boston, not everyone has a car. I mean, I used to know people that used to you know get a zip car for the day in order to make that trip. It's a little bit of a hassle. And if you look at your team and you think about, okay, it's a summer slump, they didn't make that big signing, you all of a sudden start to lose that motivation to go to the stadium. And if you don't have those diehards that are, or even, or even just like regular, more casual people that are going to the game every week and building that atmosphere, it's not quite what you want. I mean, uh, you can look at the ESPN anonymous poll and, and someone mentioned that basically when they go to Gillette Stadium, a player said that there's a weird vibe to it. And that's kind of what it is, you know? Like, like you mentioned, there are parts of the stadium that are that's the fort. They're up in there chanting for 90 minutes. Other parts, it's a lot of people sitting, whether it's because they're casual fans, whether it's because they're families. They're not into that whole entire culture. Um, and that just makes it hard when only one part is 100% into it and the other part is trying to, you know, do the wave around the stadium, which is a big controversy now. Like, do you want the wave in a soccer game? Yes or no? Some people like the fan participation. Other people think it's kind of corny. They want something that's a little bit different, um, something that's a little bit more hardcore, I guess, or like more soccer traditional, I guess. Uh, you know, so it, it's, it's an ongoing debate that you have, and I just don't think it's going to change until you get into a soccer-specific stadium that's, you know, twenty to 25,000 seats in Boston. You know, a good crowd at Gillette Stadium still feels a little empty. You know, yeah. you, you can get that place packed, and it's just, it's just not – And even though when they built it, they talked about it was, you know, soccer in mind. Certainly it is, but – it still doesn't give you that same type of atmosphere, that same type of craziness that you get in Orlando City. I mean, I went to Orlando City when I was at the Orange Bowl, you know, and so that's a big stadium as well. But the fan, everyone was so bought in, and they they trusted the ownership so much that they everyone's going to be there and hardcore and, and and you know chanting. And again, it comes down to that downtown in the Orange Bowl. I remember filing out of the stadium afterwards, and you can go to any restaurant, and people they don't ask you where you're coming from. Uh, you know, if you're wearing the shirt or whatever, they don't ask you what the score was. They know what the score was because they were watching the game. They're wearing the shirt right now. They had the, the game on TV. And people were, were all about it. They had, you know, food specials after the game because they want you to come and talk to them about it. We, again, if you leave Gillette Stadium, you can go to the parking lot. But if you go to a, you know, I love this bar or, or wherever that's there at Gillette Stadium, a lot of people don't didn't know there was a game. 
You know, they didn't necessarily know what was going on. And if they did know what was going on, they don't necessarily care to talk about it. And they don't necessarily know the roster, who scored the goals. Um, so once you get that downtown stadium, I'm thinking of, you know, 98.5 The Sports Hub recently did a, a, a interview with Jonathan Kraft. And he, he said, you know what, Atlanta, LAFC, Portland, they are inspirations to us in a lot of ways. You know, we look at them and say, that's what you need to do. We need to make sure we get the stadium right, in the right place, and we're going to. He pledged, like, we are going to get this done. We are working diligently. We we have things that are up in the air. We can't talk about them. We, we don't want to say anything until anything's official. But we are working hard to get this thing done, and we want to do it right. Because if you look at a place like Chicago Fire, they built, you know, a decent stadium, but it's hard to get to. You know, like, people don't want to make that drive if the team is losing. They don't want to make that drive – Whatever, if conditions are bad, if, if it's a potential of rain, you know, like, ah, do, is it worth it today or should we just watch the game at home? You don't want fans to have that debate. You want to be able to say, okay, the stadium is easy to get to. We can get to the game. We want to be a part of that culture. And the only way I think you can do that is if it's in Boston. And I think the team recognizes that, that once you get that, that stadium in Boston, things are going to kind of, you know, start to build up. The fan culture is going to become even stronger. There's going to be um, – more people that are dedicated to the game week in and week out, and that place is going to be rocking, just like all the other places that you mentioned. It is weird to think about Atlanta kind of being in a similar situation as the Revs, but at the same time, they're they're in a different situation because the way they're spending, their dedication to the team, the location of the stadium, I mean, it's, you know, it, and, and also the winning culture is part of it too. You know, like the, the fact that Atlanta's winning right now does change things because when the Revs are winning, they end up getting decent attendance and they end up getting, you know, some good fan uh, culture and good fan support. And uh, have you heard of any, like, concrete news about the stadium or is there, has it really just been whispers? Wouldn't it be amazing for you guys and for me if I could break some sort of big news right <laughs> now? <laughs> <laughs> right, here's the stadium's coming in here. I mean, I mean, you guys have probably heard and our listener, your listeners have probably heard the rumors that are out there. I mean, the, the team – got pretty close with, with UMass at one point. Yeah. Uh, they actually had renderings that they showed us to say, hey, look, like this isn't this isn't something that we're we're joking around about. This isn't just like something that we're floating out there to to make you buy season tickets. Like we are working hard. We, this is something we actually thought might happen. And the crafts put out an official statement, which doesn't happen very often when it comes to stadiums, saying like, here's what we had been doing. It got blocked. We're still dedicated to trying to find other areas. Uh, recently, the big rumor that's out there right now, uh, Tom Quinlan is the person that put it out there, is that they might be looking uh, around the Harvard area. Um, okay. okay. I haven't heard anything, like, you know, confirming that. I haven't heard anything um, more than just him saying that. But, you know, I think any – Reds fans just like the idea of, of hearing some rumors because, like I mentioned before – Kraft has said that Jonathan Kraft has said that they're probably not going to say anything until it's a hundred percent concrete. That this is definitely going to happen. Shovels in the ground. Uh, they don't want to put rumors out there. They don't even want to probably put timelines out there anymore because they don't want to get it wrong. I mean, it's hard to build in Boston. I think that's the, that's the big thing. And I think you do have to give them credit for not just giving up. Uh, I just you know tweeted this out right before I came on the podcast that you know you have the issue with Pawtucket and, and McCoy Stadium. Yep. Uh, so people, officials in Pawtucket, you know, a night or two ago were saying that they should talk to the Revs about moving to McCoy Stadium. Yeah. yeah. And 
I mean, it, it sounds good in the short term, you know, to have a soccer-specific stadium, to have a home of their own. But really, it's just, it's not going to be good long term. You have to get in Boston. You have to get in the right area. And there's nothing concrete out there right now. The thing, the thing that Revs fans got most excited about uh, was one of the Miami co-owners saying that the Revs were going to build a stadium uh, next to the Garden. Uh, he said this like very nonchalantly during a, like an hour-long like meeting that he he had with like media, and everyone's like, "Wait, did he just break news yeah. about yeah. this?" Since then, it's come out that yeah, like he he might have heard something and just misinterpreted what was going on. Like maybe somebody said they were looking at that area, but yeah, there's no concrete stadium news. There's nothing that's out there right now. I mean, I do believe I've heard a lot of people, uh, including you know bigger media names that that are anticipating sometime soon some decent news about this you know whether it's a year or two away they do anticipate that like this is on the docket that's not as far off as other people think um but there's nothing concrete to to kind of put out there right now it's still a waiting game to see when they can finally find the stadium that they they long desire right and i think it's very interesting um going kind of circling back to a point you made about how the fact that atlanta is winning and that makes it easier to support a team when they're winning of course clearly and especially in the case of we also mentioned chicago fire having their stadium be a little further away and sometimes when their team isn't playing that well definitely don't have as much support because like you said sometimes they think about whether should i go if it's raining or is it too far um so my next question to you is really like is winning and being a good team not like super necessary to cultivate that good fan culture um and yeah like do you think that because in all honesty like there are times when i watch the revs this season i've been trying to catch every game that i possibly can there are times when i watch a game and i think man our attack is very fluid the guys up front look like they're linking up very well and they can put together a lot of amazing uh plays but then it seems like you know clearly our, our biggest issue is the defense and just like brain lapses where we keep giving up these silly goals so kind of basically is establishing a winning culture as super important to getting the revs to be well supported i, I think so i mean uh in, in Stevie Nichols' um, autobiography, he talked about in 2007, the Crafts had actually organized a parade that would go through Boston because they really thought his, the team was going to bring home the MLS Cup. Um, so just imagine that. Imagine you know a parade through Boston basically saying, hey, we're soccer in this region. We're winners. You should come and support us. Because Boston is a place that loves winners. You know, like they, they support the... They start supporting teams when they win more often, whether it's the Patriots or the Celtics or the Red Sox. When these teams aren't competitive, when they're on losing streaks, when they're not considered to be like the top echelon of their division, of their, you know, of their league, then people start to kind of drop off and don't care quite as much. So I think when you look back and you think about all those MLS Cups that they, they went to, especially during that, you know, 2006, 2007 period there, you know, winning one of those, I think would have done wonders for this team. You know, it would have been a, a sign that they have arrived and maybe people start to make that trip out to Gillette Stadium a little bit more. Fast forward to, you know, 2014, 15, you know, 16, that type of era. You have Jermaine Jones that comes in 2014. They make it to the MLS Cup. And if you look back at the, the stats out there as far as like the best attended revolution games ever in the history of this team, Four of the top ten Revs games at Gillette Stadium come during 14 and 15. So right. what's 
what's kind of what's kind of different there? One, the team is winning. One, the team is competitive. Two, you got that big name. I mean, Jermaine Jones was a big deal. He was. You know, he everyone was. wanted to be there. That guy. I mean, that guy was amazing in every single facet. Like he was great to talk to because he gave you the quote you wanted to have. Yep. He was, you know, a guy who was supportive of his teammates. He was the guy who like like. One of my favorite things about Jermaine Jones was he would make a mistake defensively, and then he you knew he was going to score an assist like 10 or 15 minutes later because that was on his mind so much that he was the one that messed up his mark or whatever it might be, messed up his tackle, that he had to then go out and score. So there was such an atmosphere of we are winners. Like, you should come support this team because everything we're doing right now is going to be memorable sometime in the future. Now, it, it's... It's you know can we win maybe will we lose I don't know probably like there's there's no winning culture right now where you go out to the the stadium and believe that oh man this team is going to win and they're gonna win the MLS Cup and it's gonna be amazing there's a lot more people that are you know more more passive in their their fandom you know they don't they don't care quite as much. Uh, so, so like winning gets people out there because they want to support winners. They want to buy the jerseys of winners. They want to be proud that they're from this area. You know, if your team goes through this summer swoon every single year, people don't care quite as much. They don't want to make the drive out, especially if you know you look at the transfer window and they sign you know Christian Machado, who's a guy they wanted since the winter, and he's been here for three games. He's played three minutes. Yeah, this is a guy they've taught, they've looked at for a long time. And it, it looks like he's a depth signing, you know, which is fine, but that's not going to get anyone to get to Gillette Stadium. That's not right. going to get anyone to believe that, that culture has changed. And they signed Michael Mancian as a defender, which fit a need and, and could be a, a pretty decent pick. But he's now, he's currently the highest paid defender in MLS. And really? he comes in, he play, yeah, yeah, and he plays, hmm. he plays currently the yeah, highest paid defender in MLS. He comes in, he, he plays, you know, only two training sessions, so you have to give the guy some leeway. Yeah. But you know, the team ends up giving up two goals and losing 2-0 to D.C. United. Yeah. And he, he had some good moments. He had some good clearances on crosses. But he almost scored an own goal, too, if, if Matt Turner didn't make a big save. Mm. So that doesn't get anyone excited. I mean, there was talk of Jeff Cameron coming. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I mean, I don't know how realistic it was. And he definitely wanted some pretty outrageous money. And I don't know if he's, he's worth that type of money. But that moves the needle a little bit. He's a yeah. local guy. He's a national team player. He played over in Europe. I mean, I, I don't know. Would, would that get you guys to go out for another game or two, or, or a little so, bit more often if you start if you heard about uh, Jeff Cameron joining the team? So I've always liked Jeff Cameron. I've I mean I followed him. You know when he's played in the Premier League, and I loved seeing him on the U.S. Men's National Team. So like. If he were to come to the Rebs, that 100% would get me more excited. Um, you know, just because of the name on the sheet, being able to be confident in being like, all right, Jeff Cameron, who has played for the U.S. so many times and has had legit experience on the team sheet, that would get me excited because at least I would know that in my defense, we would have a big name player that I could look at and be like, damn, we have Jeff Cameron. So I personally would get a lot more excited if he, if he had signed. Yeah, and I would 100% agree. I think some fans, I mean, not all the times with like the more diehard fans, but I think some fans need just a little bit of a little bit of sugar on top to kind of get them to be out there and when they see a name like that come on the sheet, it would it would make it more of an exciting event, I would think. Yeah, and I think that you guys hit it on the head there in the sense that it just it's a, almost also a sign 
Like, so he'll help, obviously help, help you win games and stuff, but it's also just almost a sign that this team's going to be spending and that they want to be, you know, competitive in this global market. And again, I'm not sure if Jeff Cameron is worth it for the money he was asking, and he's still not in MLS, so you yeah, know, I can see obviously, that. Yeah. Obviously, other teams kind of uh, maybe made a pass on him, mm-hmm. but, you know, it, it's, I remember when Jermaine Jones came, and there, I think, uh, Bostonian, I think was the magazine, they had a big picture of Jermaine Jones on it, and I think the caption was, Game Changer. Mm. You know, like, it was like, supposed. this was supposed to be a landmark moment for this team that they were going to get to the MLS Cup, that maybe that they were going to start being that upper echelon team that was going to spend a little bit more money and go for those big names. And and since then, I mean, Xavier Kowasi was a, a DP signing. Uh, you can't fault them for that signing because you can't anticipate that he's going to get that knee injury and never really recover the same way. Yeah. I mean, Claude Dielna was a, is a DP right now, and he's not even making the 18. You know, and he's this is a year removed from when he signed his contract. So he goes from, you know, being a DP signing that's in your your back line to, you know, Brad Friedel named him the captain at the beginning of the year. And now he's not even making the 18. You know, Kai Kamara was a DP that, that came over and that, you know, really didn't work out for the Revs. So they're making, like, they are spending some money, but it's not the big names. It's not anything that's going to get anyone overly excited, per se, so, especially if, if these teams go on these, these slumps, people start to say, should we go out there? Is it worth making the trip? I mean, there's a lot of people on the NA, NA Revs hashtag right now that are, like, talking about, you know, I've been a supporter for 5, 10, whatever amount of years, and I'm starting to lose connection to this team. Like, I just don't, you know, if it's between hanging out with my friends and watching the game at home, I'm just going to go hang out with my friends and I'll catch the highlights later. And sports isn't supposed to be like that. Sports, yeah. sports is supposed to be, hey, I'm sorry, it's Saturday night. It's a Revs game. I don't care. I'm, I'm watching this game. You guys can have the most fun night of your life, but I have to watch my team. And there are some people now that are kind of losing that connection and don't care quite as much. Right. And so the the thing about the DPs that, find, that I find so interesting is actually even something that we talked about with DC United. Like, they bring in Wayne Rooney, which, you know, a lot of people do kind of criticize how some MLS teams – bring in these older almost they call it almost like a retirement league but clearly we can see with Wayne Rooney that he is still producing at a very high level I think that like do you think in a way that the crafts are neglecting to to sign good DPs or is it just like a lack of availability a lack of of wanting to commit because I feel like there have into your point like we've signed Kowasi and Kamara but these players are all not necessarily on the same echelon of Ibrahimovic and um, Wayne Rooney, because in my opinion, I feel like it shouldn't be that hard of a sell for someone to want to come to New England, where you can look at them and be like, hey, look, we have by far the best sports town in the United States, in Boston, and if you come here and you play out of your mind and you turn this team around, you will forever be known as a legend. So for me, in my mind, I think that the sell to get a DP here shouldn't necessarily be that difficult. So do you think it's a matter of neglecting or are they too worried about the Pats to really care or is it just a lack of availability? Um, I think I do think it's, it's hard to get some certain players to come and play at Gillette Stadium because uh, of the turf. Right. You know, Slaton doesn't come here. Uh, Thierry Henry only played that one playoff game, his final game ever. His final game ever, by the way, was at Gillette Stadium, which is pretty crazy to think about. He's another one, uh, speaking of like, you know, talking to people in the locker room. 
So everyone obviously wanted to talk to Terry on Rhea after the playoff game. Yep. The Revs beat them. So we all go into the locker room. He takes his time. You know, he's, he's getting out of the shower or whatever, putting his, putting his clothes on, getting ready. And uh, lots of us all surrounding him. And he goes, you guys ready? And I feel like, yep, yep. And uh, he said, well done to New England. And he's kind of walked away. That's basically uh-huh. all, all his comment was in that moment. And uh, I remember one of the guys was like, what a legend. One of the reporters, <laughs> what a legend. That, that was the last thing that he was saying after the game. Um, but yeah, back to the point. I, I think that, that that turf at Gillette Stadium isn't really attractive. I think that, you know, the drive to Foxborough, I mean, it's not in Boston. I mean, it's a part of New England. It's, it is a Boston nearby team yeah but it's also like 40 minutes from boston so definitely like not really in or near the city totally uh and i, and I think obviously there, there's also aspects about how does that factor into negotiations you, know, you imagine that players might want a little bit more to if they are going to play at Gillette stadium again i think it just comes down to that when this when you get an urban stadium you're going to see an uptick in the players that come over, the money that's spent, the fan culture, the, I mean, another thing that's brought up a lot is that you have a, a legend, Taylor Twelman, number 20, you know, 101 goals for the revolution, uh, concussions end his career early, and they haven't officially retired his jersey, but when a player comes over and asks for number 20, they're like, mm, you can't have that, yeah. you know? And it's almost like they're waiting for opening up this brand new stadium to start doing some of those things, you know, to retire jerseys or have a ring of honor or have a, you know, uh, a testimonial for some of the guys, the former players bring some of those guys back to, to have a old, you know, old timers game, similar to like when they closed down RFK and you had all those guys come back and play that game. It's almost like you need to have that new stadium in order to change the culture and change things around. Again, I, I think that, there are positive things that this team is doing. You look at, you know, Christian Pena is a great find, a great player, a game changer. Um, you know, Turner has established himself as being a, a, a guy who could someday play for the national team. Um, but those big names, for whatever reason, whether it's because they don't want to play here, because um, there, there's uncertainty about if it's worth the money at this current time. I mean, I, I'm not really 100% sure, but you're, you're probably not going to get I mean, I also go back and say there have been big name players that have expressed interest in coming here before, or that the Rams have gone into like later negotiations with, uh, but never really kind of gotten the final deal done. So there is a, always a possibility that you might see some someone come, but I think if you're looking at like a Zlatan, like he's never going to come. Yeah, you know, him and just this doesn't make sense in this time of his career, coming off of a you know a knee surgery, for him to come here. He's always going to end up in a L.A. team, on grass, something like that. Um, So the Reds culture is a little bit different right now as far as how do they build a roster and what it might look like, uh, you know, considering their current situation. And I think think you made a a, a a huge point point, um, with... with, Sorry, sorry, I literally just just lost my train of thought so so bad. bad. Um, (laughs) Oh, sorry, got it back. Uh, (laughs) Basically, I, I think it's very interesting that it's almost as if the refs have been playing a waiting game for years and years on the stadium to really put forward their, to really start to establish their culture. But it almost seems like the longer we wait, we're losing more and more people as uh, as devout supporters. Like you said, you have people on, on Twitter talking about how they've been supporting this team for ages. And now they're almost becoming a little bit too 
too relaxed about it. They're like, oh, okay, I'll just catch the highlights like you said. So it, it, it does, it is a weird situation because I agree with you. I think that a lot of all of this really hinges on that stadium getting done. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, but again, it's, it's hard. Exactly what you're saying that you, you want it to be there now. You want to make sure you retain these these fans and make sure that like the culture is being built up and and whatnot. But you also can't rush the stadium when you want the, you you want to try to get that perfect situation. Right. You know? I'm sure they probably could have built one in Rhode Island right now. You know, or they could have built one in I don't know even New Hampshire or something like yeah. that. I'm sure they could have, but in the long well, so- run, is it worth it? So my question to you is, yeah, maybe you can just elaborate a little bit. If you had to, because I have heard talk about them doing, you know, something in Providence, right? So in, in a situation where they were to build a stadium in Providence versus building it in Boston, how would that shake out in the long run? Because I feel like with, with the population in Boston and the demographics in Boston, it's, it's so ripe for soccer. It's all of the things that would make it work so well. But how far off is Providence from Boston in terms of like, effectiveness of creating uh of being able to create that culture i think what you'd have to see in providence is you'd have to see a usl team first and go through that path of a a portland or an orlando where they prove that they can get x amount of people out weekend you know every single week um and they would have to like kind of rise up into an mls team like i just can't imagine the revs saying you know what we're we're Ditching Boston, and we're going to kind of roll the dice here in, in Providence. Because Providence might work out. I mean, if you look at, you know, World Cup ratings, they're usually pretty high up. Providence ends up being as one of the top 10, 15, wherever it might be. So there's, like, kind of some promise there. But it's just not Boston. You right. know, it's, it's not – like you said, Boston is, has that winning culture. Putting yourself there puts you right next to the Bruins and the Celtics and all these legendary teams. Now you're in the same exact city, and you can go on the tee to get to the, the game, and you can, you know, have that culture and that vibe. And, and even those fans that have gone almost certainly will come back because they love soccer. They're just tired of, of you know, investing their money in something that – is isn't always contending you know that's going through the same slumps and they have to drive out there and they have to it just it's too hard for them if you plop down that beautiful new stadium that has all the uh all the nice things and i'll go back and say this um you know the crafts have recently been to minnesota they've recently been they, they were down at the game at dc united so you imagine that besides supporting their team they're probably looking at some of these new stadiums and thinking about, okay, when we build a stadium, how do we want it to look? What do we want it to, to have as features? Like, I think they're, they, they're doing a lot of this, you know, legwork to make sure that when they have that stadium, it's going to be state-of-the-art, it's going to be beautiful, and it's going to bring them in a lot of money. Versus if you bring it to Providence, could it work? Sure, but I think you're running a gamble much, much more there. So, you know, the only way I can see it happening is if – you have a, a USL team there, and it ends up being, you know, you have Hartford coming in soon, that's a USL team, but it ends up kind of thriving and proving that it's actually going to be a really great culture, and then the Reds are sitting there thinking, okay, we still don't have a stadium, they've been here for three or four years, and they're, you know, selling this place out, the fans are crazy, all right, maybe it's just better that we kind of m- like merge these things together and, and make it happen here, I, I don't think that's a realistic thing. Again, because I, you know, there's no USL team in Providence. It would take some time to develop. 
Uh, and then even after it develops, you'd have to have, I think the crafts would probably want like five years of like sustainable growth and seeing how good that team is developing right. for them to kind of say, all right, that's, that's our best route. Uh, and I think that by that time, hopefully there's, there's more concrete plans in Boston to build a stadium. So is Providence a realistic thing? I really, I really don't see it as being realistic because it's just much more of a gamble than building one in Boston. So in an ideal world, what would you like to see happen to the Revs? Both on a cultural side and also uh, like a infrastructure side, just kind of in general. I mean, the, the stadium's the biggest thing, no doubt. I think that once you have a stadium, things change. I think that you'll, you'll see, you know, different players. I think you'll see maybe a different attitude around like, you know, building this team. I think the supporters, you know, culture will be, be pretty outstanding. I think that'll be just as loud and just as crazy as other areas. So to me, that's the biggest thing um, that I want to see. That's obviously the hardest thing. Right. Uh, so, so besides that, you know, maybe, you know, you, you see more proactiveness in regards to acquiring players. Um, so this past transfer window, I was really interested in seeing a, a, another attacker be brought in because mm-hmm. um, the Revs are really good at transitioning. Their, their high press is pretty effective, as we saw during the, the first half of the season. Yep. But the right wing in particular is a little bit weak. You know, mm-hmm. Juan Agudelo has good games. He has okay games. Um, but he's not the constant threat that Pania is on the left. So if you yeah. get an attacker on the right, you're going to kind of balance things out a little bit and, and be a little bit more of uh, a, a more dangerous and more unpredictable team. Or maybe you bring in a number 10 and move Diego out there, maybe a guy who can hold the ball a little bit and find that penetrating pass, because the Reds don't really do that, recycling the ball and find a penetrating pass. Yeah. Um, instead, they went out and they did fit a knee. Like they, they, they went out and got you know Mancian, who fits a need, but again, it feels kind of reactive. I mean, I could tell yeah. you at the beginning of the season that defense is going to be a problem because they had Claudio Elna, they had Antonio Delamea, and then they had a, a journeyman in Jaleel Amibaba, who, fair enough, has been pretty decent this season, but he's still a guy who's bounced around, around this league. So, you know, you could have, coming into the season, you could have, you should have predicted that you probably need another big name defender in case someone gets injured or drops in form or whatever. So if you're a little bit more proactive in those signings, um, you're probably going to have more success in, in building a team and you know having sustainable success. And I think that, again, winning is not going to make this the best culture and the best atmosphere in MLS, but it's going to help big time. So instead of making, you know, last season, they, they last second, they add Claude Yelna during the, the summer transfer window. That was kind of like a, oh, no, we have to do something right now because our defense isn't good type of move. Fast forward one year later, they're doing something similar with, with Michael Mancian, you know? So I'd like to see and, – and, and, again, that might be a little bit hard to do because you have this change in coaching staff. You know, Frito kind of has to become his own man and, and make his own team. And I think I'm really excited about what he might do this offseason because he has produced a lot of things and, and kind of shown a lot of different um, – positives as a coach so he's already working on who he's going to bring in but i'd like to see that happen during the offseason early on into it you know not right before camp opens let's like let's figure out that you need a right midfielder that you need another striker that you need all these different types of pieces and get all those things done so that when you get to the summer transfer window maybe it's adding one more piece as opposed to trying to add a bunch of pieces to kind of 
you know, you know, turn around the summer slump. So, to, to, yeah, again, to me, it, it's a stadium, and then just being a little bit more proactive with those signings, getting those guys in a little bit earlier, and, and trying to make sure that top to bottom, this team is a roster that's going to be competitive, uh, no matter if you have a big name or not, it's going to be competitive with other people in the league, and that will get fans excited, and that will get fans to show up for the games. Awesome, man. Yeah, so just to kind of wrap up, I think our final question to you is basically, you know, will these current Revs be able to right the ship and make the playoffs? Because they started the first half of the season pretty well. They looked, you know, maybe not the best team in the East, clearly not, but they, they were doing well. Um, and then, you know, these past five games have just been horrendous. So do you think that we could maybe recapture some of that? Or do you think it's kind of we should all just kind of look at it and be like, damn, next season we should build on this, but this season it's kind of going to go south? So at the beginning of the season, I said they were going to miss the playoffs. I said that it's it's just hard for a coach to come in and, and put a stamp on things and really kind of – especially a new coach. I mean, he's coached other places for the U.S. youth national teams. He coached over, overseas a little bit with some uh, youth teams. Um, but he was brand new to MLS. It was always going to be difficult, I think, for him to make the playoffs. Then I saw Christian Pena. More than anything else, more than the results, I just thought Christian Pena is such a weapon that he should be able to get this team close to the playoffs, probably sneak into that number six spot, um, especially because you know Orlando fell off, Toronto wasn't doing well, D.C. seemed dead in the water. And then when the summer swoon started happening – uh, and you see, you know, the Revs struggle against LA Galaxy, against Orlando. They can't close out games. They're dropping points after being ahead. I, I've now decided that they're they're not going to make it. I've gone back to my original uh, prediction. So, you know, going going back and forth all over <laughs> on that one. And really, to me, the stat that sticks out is that they're 0-5 and two since June 30th. Yeah. You know that that's Ooh. they haven't won. Since June thirtieth, and if you look at DC on the other side, DC is five two and one during that same stretch. Right. right, you know, and they're not great at home. They're six four and three. So again, going back to that fan culture, it's it's fifty fifty almost if they're going to win at home. Right. And last year, it was almost guaranteed that they're going to win or they're going to maybe draw, but they're going to put on a good show at home. This year, it's just not that same thing. And finally, you have six of six of games on the road, four at home. So you have six games on the road to end the season, and that's just always difficult in MLS. And and Frito has come out and said that he believes it's American thing, that it shouldn't be harder on the road, that it's not actually harder on the road, and um, it is. It's just flat out is. Look at any team's you know record, and most of the teams have a hard time putting together results on the road. Uh, Charlie Davies, you know, obviously a Revs legend, a U.S. legend. He's now the club ambassador. He came out and he said the same thing, like, "Hey, it's hard. You know, it it." it you know, sleeping in a hotel, doing these flights, being in a different atmosphere, having the fans, uh, you know, say negative things or chant positive things for their team or wherever it might be, it just flat out is harder to win in MLS. So, you know, the, the team will say that one game changes everything, that you can get on a winning streak and, and kind of see this out. And that's certainly a possibility. But right now with this team and how they're playing, it's hard to see them unless – they are able to bring in a free agent that kind of brings some new life into the team or Mancian kind of steps up and really ends up being a, an elite MLS, like a very elite MLS defender. It's hard to see this team turn around, so you're probably looking at them missing the playoffs again. And you know what? I think that's – you can't judge Fido too much yet 
because of that, I think that next year will be the year for you to really kind of think about, okay, was Schmidl the right coach? What has he done for the team? What has he done for the culture? Um, so next year, I think, will be a more defining year, a more a year that you can make more statements after the, the season is over. Right. And I think that's fair. You know, giving giving Friedel a good full two years to then sit down and think, all right, so he's been here for two years. What has he done in two years versus like, hey, in his first year, he only had, you know, these players to work with. And this is what he was able to do. I think definitely next year will be when we should judge him in, in, in his capacity. Um, but sorry, one last question. I know what we said last one was the last one, but um, <laughs> How would you kind of assess the current MLS landscape and kind of are you happy with the MLS recently? Um, because we've seen a lot of teams come in and really just like make massive waves. Um, you have LAFC who came in this year and has been a, like phenomenal. You went to a game, you saw that uh, atmosphere. Atlanta since last year has been absurd. Um, and even DC with their finally with their new stadium that they've also been wanting to do for so long it seems like even they're becoming really exciting again, you know, with, with Rooney and Acosta, and they're just really playing well. Like, how, how would you assess the current MLS landscape to how it was, say, I don't know, 10, 5, five 10 years ago? It's awesome. It's, it's flat-out awesome to be here and, and be covering the league and watching the league and just, I mean, it, it's, you know, ten, 10 years ago or so when I started watching this team and watching the league, it was always my league. It was always something I really enjoyed. I, back in the day, I, I could tell you every single player on every single team. I, I just knew. I watched preseason games, and I watched uh, streams of, of you know, U.S. Open Cup, and it was just something that was an, like an addiction for me. It was something that I absolutely loved, but it was an addiction that people didn't understand. Yeah. You know? I tell someone, and they're like, hey, really? Like, that's what you watch? The Premier League is so much better. And, mm -hmm. and all these other leagues are so much better. And, and I, I would fully admit that. i say, yeah, you're right. But this is my league. You know, this is my American league that I, I support and I love. And, and I can talk to people online about and, and be knowledgeable about. And, yeah, the soccer is not as good. You know, you have hilarious uh, – Pablo Maurer is a really great follow. Um, MLSist, I believe, on Twitter. And he has this really great thing where every now and then he like shows a clip of just just terrible MLS soccer player, like a, a player just dribbling out of bounds with not even a defender near him. And he's like, "Yep, that's my league. This is MLS." And that's how I feel. You know, I'd, I'd watch that and be like, "Yep, that's 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 the way it is." You know, but it's it, it's something imperfect that I love. And and since that time, I've seen the growth. You know, I've seen. You know, I teach. Again, I teach and I see kids that, that wear jerseys to school, that know players, that go down to Revs games, that, that not just because it's fun or because they want the ice cream or because whatever, it's because they want to be a part of the culture. And they want, they want to hopefully play in that stadium one day. And they hopefully want to, to be a part of the New England Revolution. And that's really cool. I mean, the other day, I used to bring up like, oh, I watched the last game last night. This is what happened. I have like, you know, I have people groan and say, Really? Like, why would you watch that? Yeah, I thought yeah. up the other day, I said, oh, yeah, when I was watching the, the D.C. United game, um, uh, I can't remember who they were playing. It wasn't the Revs. It was the game before the Revs. But the D.C. United game, I believe it was the third goal, O'Neal Fisher. Uh, so Lucho Acosta beats all of his defenders, and O'Neal Fisher just kind of opens up his body. He's, like, backpedaling his body, receives a ball, and just puts it in the back of the net. And I was like, hey, like, that's – as a, as a player, that's the type of little movements that matter. He doesn't right. go to the ball because he's like, he trusts his teammate. Okay, 
Lucha Acosta, he's a great player. He's going to take care of these things. I'm going to open up and, and I'm going to like accept this ball to my back foot. I'm going to put it in the back of the net. That little movement that makes that goal happen. Now, I was using that to demonstrate like that's why you have to do these things when you're on the field. And years past, kids would have been like, oh, why are you bringing that up? As soon as I said DC United, people were like, oh, Wayne Rooney. Oh, he's been really good for the league. And they were into it. They watched the, the games there. They know these players, and they're excited to talk about them. Um, so, again, yeah, I mean, the atmosphere has been amazing, the games I've gone to. I mean, there's, there's fun Reds games. Uh, like I said, LFC was cool. I've been to Orlando. Montreal has a decent little stadium. Um, Red Bull Arena is cool. Uh, you know, I've been there as a, as a fan. Um, I went to one that probably the most interesting one is Abaya Stadium is is kind of interesting because really? all their tail yeah all their tailgating happens inside the stadium, so wow. there is no like kind of parking lot to like you know like Gillette Stadium. So you go inside and they have all the food trucks and they have like different vendors oh, and you're awesome. it, you're in the stadium and you're sitting on just grass behind like what's what's like the world's largest or country's largest outdoor bar or whatever it's kind of huh. you know advertised oh. as the atmosphere is nothing there i think they i honestly believe there might have been like three chants the entire game huh. otherwise everyone i mean it was a wednesday game and obviously the team at that point the team had only won two games and they both were against minnesota united mm. so they were not doing well um but they no chanting uh I sat down the entire game and, and talked tactics with my my, uh, my wife. Um, so it was just like a different type of atmosphere. But it's just, it's cool. Everywhere you go is something different. There's different chants, there's different foods, there's different cultures, and it's fun. I mean, it's, it's a fun game to be a part of and to recognize that this is our league, this is our country, this is soccer in the United States. And I love it. I love the growth, and I, I look forward to seeing the growth in, in, in Boston and throughout the country. Well, I love what you just said there about how every aspect of the U.S. is different. And we all kind of understand that, right? Like different parts of the country have different customs, different kinds of foods. I mean, just think about how much, like, you know, barbecue in the South or, you know, uh, Tex-Mex food in, in Southern California, Texas and that area over there. Every region of this country has so many different things to offer so i love the fact that you know uh, in a couple years we're going to have nashville with their own stadium and you're going to get to go experience nashville for the city and what it is but you know you can catch some country music but you can also go to an mls game and hopefully they can start to bridge the gap between what is like a sport and what is part of the local culture and kind of bring it together because i think that's astounding i think it's phenomenal to think that you know, in a couple of years, like I could go down to Nashville, have an amazing week, go to a bunch of awesome bars, go to listen to a bunch of country music, but then go to a soccer stadium and experience similar things that I would experience in Nashville. And I think that's going to be really cool. And like how Atlanta incorporated a lot of hip hop into their into a lot of their culture down in Atlanta United. I think it's so unique to each location. And I can't wait to see that continue to grow. Totally. I mean, everything you said is, is spot on. And, and it's, it's something that you want to be a part of right now because it's just going to grow from here. It's just going to get bigger from here. So to, to jump on and, and support it and be there. And like I said, for me to have jumped on 10 years ago, and obviously people have been you know fan of the team longer and to see the growth that's happened up until now, it's, it's really cool. So instead of, you know, you, you want that downtown stadium and you want that type of thing, but to, to be a fan of the league right now, as it continues to grow is going to be a, a nice feeling to have when it becomes one of the top sports in the United States. Yeah, man, you've got me excited over here.
But hey, Seth, we want to thank you so much for coming on, man. We really appreciate getting to sit down and talk to you. And this has been in by far one of my, the favorite interviews we have done. Um, so thank you so much for, for coming on. And, and we really appreciate your time, man. No, you guys are great. I mean, uh, I've looked online at your stuff and, and uh, you guys are definitely doing doing like great work spreading news and getting the culture out there. Because you're right, it's not just about wins or losses. It's not about tactical breakdowns all the time. It's about what's the supporter culture like and, and how to grow the game that way. Because that's, that's how you get people in the, the stands. So you guys do great work. and it's definitely, uh, It was definitely great to talk to you guys. And, and I wish you all the best. Thank you, Seth. Thank we'll you, talk Seth. to you soon, all right? Yeah, take care. Wow. Just wow. What a fantastic episode. Such great insights to hear from Seth. It was something we won't forget for a long time coming. As always, we thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week.